Hi, I'm Alex Jump, and this is Focus on Health, a podcast dedicated to discussing and bringing to light the fundamental issues surrounding health and wellness in the food and beverage industry. This week, my guest is Laura Louise Green, a Chicago industry veteran and a licensed mental health counselor. Laura continues to integrate her clinical and academic experiences into her work in beverage by directing her research and professional focus towards spirits education, the mental health and wellness of F&B professionals, and the holistic health of the beverage industry. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex Jump, and this is the Focus on Health podcast. And today I'm here with Laura Green. Hi, Laura. Hi. Do you prefer Laura Louise Green or Laura Green, or do you not care? Um, honestly, I don't care. Well, I do care. I don't know. I go by both. Like some people okay. just call me Laura Louise, and that's great. But some people okay. just call me Laura. Some people call me LG. Laura Louise Green is fine. Okay, <laughs> I like I, I like Laura Louise Green. It's very like official. Um, but I'll call you whatever you like. Um, I don't like it when people call me AJ. So, um, oh really? You know. I, I don't like that at all. Um, everybody at work just calls me jump, um, which is fine. But AJ, <laughs> I don't like. So Laura, to give everybody listening a little bit more background on who you are, you are in Chicago, Illinois. You're a veteran bartender, a spirits educator, and a licensed professional mental health counselor. You earned your master's degree in education from DePaul with a concentration in community and clinical mental health counseling, including completing a 700-hour clinical internship, all while working full-time behind bars. Boy, yep, I can't. I'm so in awe. And aside from the fact that you're just an absolutely wonderful person, I've really been looking forward to hosting you on the podcast because of your unique and solution-oriented perspective into the issues of mental health, substance abuse, sexism, racism, classism, and ageism from within the food and beverage industry. These are all topics that I think for a long time our industry has completely swept under the rug and really not wanted to talk about Um you know, even after we've all seen our friends and colleagues suffering. So I'm really happy to to have you here to talk about these things that um, are a little uncomfortable sometimes. I'm really happy to be here. Thank okay. you. Well, I feel like I could go on and on about your bio because, you know, the work you've been doing in our industry is so incredible, but I don't want to, you know, eat up all of our time just talking about how cool you are. But, <laughs> you know, did, is there anything that I missed that you feel like people should know about you? Um, I don't think so. I, yeah, I, I think you covered it pretty much. I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm not a practicing therapist, so I'm not seeing clients right now. But, um, you know, my work is primarily in education and educational programming, and a little bit of consultation um, within the hospitality sphere around mental health. So yeah. Well, it's so important. And you know, it was it, it was important before 2020. And now I think it's even more important to have these conversations. So, you know, let's just go ahead and tackle the huge elephant in the room of the hospitality community, which is the severe lack of mental health resources, and even more so just a lack of conversation in general about mental health. You know, mm -hmm. it's starting to change. And I think that you've really been leading the charge in a lot of ways with some other really incredible organizations too. And I really just wanted to kick things off by talking about Healthy Poor and uh, what led you to create that brand as well as what you're working on right now to deal with some of these issues. Yeah, for sure. So um, Healthy Poor was born, I mean, I think like most essential ideas, it was born out of a need. Um, I had 
received a grant from Tales of the Cocktail to do research. Um, I found that there were opportunities coming my way to help with um, different restaurants and bars to go in and speak about mental health and um, you know some brands too. So I really, I really needed a um, essentially a catch-all situation that embodied what it was that I was trying to achieve and something that would utilize me um, within the industry, within the community, within you know all of these intersecting intersecting initiatives um, as much as possible. So I created Healthy Poor as like a sort of like a consultation company that also does research, mm -hmm. you know, so I did receive the grant and I have a survey, I have a few surveys out right now collecting data about uh, mental health within the hospitality industry, but what's it, what it really has evolved into is um, primarily a consultation company, which is right now just me, um, kind of one other person I have, I'm slowly like, you know, coaxing them into my, into my lair. Uh, <laughs> you know, come with, come with me. Um, but it's become something where I work a lot with other organizations, helping them to achieve their goals around mental health. And that can be, you know, like focus on health or support staff or not nine to five or restaurants or brands or whatever. So, um, you know, trying to connect, like collect data, work with people, find out what interventions are working within the community, what's not working within the community, and then how we can best advocate, um, you know, and educate to achieve the desired goals, which are that people are thriving within the work that we're doing here instead of actively suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's that was kind of our founding mission statement for Focus on Health is that we believe that people can have healthy and long lasting careers in the food and beverage industry. But in order for that to happen, you know, a lot of other things have to change within the industry and with the way society views our industry, right? Um, they're kind of two in one. Um, and that actually brings me to a topic that um, for everybody listening, this is actually our second time recording this podcast. Um, the first time as I went to edit it, uh, the audio was totally all mushed together and weird. So this is our second go at it, um, <laughs> you know, but I, as we're talking about it, it reminds me of something that you and I talked about on the first time we recorded this episode, which was um, the, the way that we, how, how we relate to this industry while we're working within it and how society has you know, how society's view of working in hospitality has kind of sets a lot of people up, not for failure, but you're, you know, you're actively trying to um, fix a lot of like damage and trauma regarding this industry as you try to prove to yourself in some ways that it's a viable career. Um, I don't know if I'm making sense or if you kind of remember us talking about that the first you time. You are making sense. And I do remember. And <laughs> as you brought it back up, I found myself like sighing, <laughs> like big sighs. Yeah. Because it's such, it's such a hard thing. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a massive thing to, um, one, it's a massive question to answer, but it's a massive obstacle to understand. It's a barrier to overcome. Um, and so, I mean, my first impressions of that question is hospitality is already a microcosm as well as an expression of the current culture and society that we live in, right? So like, 
ideally we want to say that the restaurants in our individual neighborhoods are expressions of who lives in the neighborhood, um, the culture of that neighborhood, what people need, um, you know, and, and what people want ultimately to share and spaces that people want to welcome each other into. Um, that being said, I think that also hospitality is um, a reflection of what we see in normal, <laughs> I guess, everyday societal, um, societal world and challenges, which includes um god a lot of i mean a lot of troubles if you will like you know if we see racism in the outside of the hospitality industry it is most definitely in the hospitality industry and the volume is probably turned up on it if we see mm -hmm. um classism outside of hospitality it is most definitely in hospitality and um the volume is turned up on it sexism all of these other pieces um i think also Oh God, this, this is where it kind of does start to get heavy. Um, we, for so, so, so long, I think people who work in the hospitality industry have been regarded as, um, you know, the people who were incapable of doing other things, which is so mm -hmm. sad because if we do examine like hospitality and restaurants and bars, um, as an expression of the culture that we're in, like it makes me sad that like the people who are working within the hospitality industry are so often brushed aside and dehumanized. Um, yeah, you know, and I think, and and if we keep if we keep examining the intersections of like you already have an entire community that's dehumanized and severely undervalued. So there's not health insurance, there's not 401ks, there's not right. any of these things. You already have this population. And then you start to look at other marginalized populations within that already dehumanized population, like dehumanization on top of dehumanization. And then you have, you know, this caste system within it that can be incredibly, incredibly damaging and traumatic for people. Um, it's, it's, what, what's happening is you're compiling trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma as you like whittle it down more and more. And so that's not lost on people. That dehumanization is not lost on people. And the stigmas around working within the hospitality industry are not lost on the people who are working within the hospitality industry. And they're often internalized because then you have this dissonance happening of like, I know on a larger and broader cultural and societal level, the work that I do is stigmatized. You know, you have the, your holidays of like, yo, are you still bartending or are you still cooking? You know, that is, yeah. is that's implying like, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going yeah. to get a valuable job? Um, what, and then it further <laughs> implies, why aren't you contributing the way that I think you should or society thinks you should or whatever. So all of those things, all of those pieces get definitely internalized by, I'm sorry, internalized by the individual who is like working in the hospitality industry. So then you have, again, coming back to that dissonance, you have this dissonance of, I love this work, I value this work. I think this is important work. And I mean, we've learned from this pandemic that everybody thinks this is important work because everybody wants to go out to eat even though they're told not to go out to eat, <laughs> you know? Right. So <laughs> right. that's evidence that this the work that we do is important, is valuable, is essential, but it's butt up and it's butt up against this, you know, opinion of this forced opinion and stigma around like this work isn't valuable. You, you don't right. deserve um, benefits in your workplace. 
And so that's really yeah, you, you know, and like continuing this, you know, like it's one thing that's been on my mind a lot lately is that, you know, like over, you know, decades of of this industry, uh, you know, that there's been no changes to the way people are paid, no. you know, um, and, and on top of that, in a lot of states, there's been no changes to what the minimum wage is. Like I used to, I mean, I started working in hospitality in Tennessee where the tipped minimum wage is $2.13 an hour. That's wild. Yeah. It's insane. You know, like I can't even wrap my head around how insane that is. And then, you know, I think you brought up something a little bit ago that really struck a chord with me about, you know, how we're treated um, by society. And I think that's something that's been on a lot of people's minds um, this year. It has been, you know, that it's been really heightened that interaction between you and your guests and, and what those interactions mean. Because right now, you know, it's not just, it's not like it was a year ago where it's like, you know, whatever, somebody stiffed me, like, you know, fuck them, whatever, but then it all works out in the wash, you know, it's much more, there's a lot more at stake right now. And emotions are a lot higher, because it's like this person refuses to wear a face mask when they're walking around the bar, you know, like, and you're, you're feeling like you're being told on a completely different level, um, how worthless a lot of people think that you are by their actions, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think, and I think it's looking think, at it like, cause we can use words like someone thinks that you're worthless. And the reality is that <laughs> that might be true. Like, I think we've seen every, like every, um, every, f- I think what, cause what it is, it's deep down fear we've been mistreated. And I mean, I haven't, I haven't been behind the bar, you know, nightly, gosh, for three years now. But um, I remember when I was, when I was working behind the bar every night, you know, I would always still try to see the best in people, even though they mistreated me, or they, you know, treated me as a prop within their experience or a device, or like, you know, like Mm -hmm. service robot. Um, You know, I think that there's always, I know that I was always looking for some sort of hope of like, well, they just don't know better. They've never done this work. They doesn't, they don't know what it feels like to be dehumanized or, you know, kind of brushed aside or very invisible um, to them. Right. And what's been exposed recently is you can't hide from the fact that people would, they value their drink and their experience over your life. And I think that's yeah. what, that's, you know, that's, that's what a... I think it's, and I, it's, it's beyond, it's beyond worthless. It's, um, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah. I can't, I don't know the word, but it's, it's really troubling. <laughs> it's really troubling. Yeah. It's like you're inconsequ- inconsequential, yeah. uh, to their existence. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, that's been, that's been tough. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is, you know, like how, how much of a a disconnect there is between what we regard as essential um and and the lack of viewing dining out as a luxury mm-hmm. you know like and like for most of americans dining out is yeah. a luxury so it's been a tough one for me to reconcile as to like why all of a sudden now it's not and you know there's no we could obviously like everyone could get into the 
the deeper dive of the economics of a city and trying to keep uh, an economy afloat and keep people paid, you know, and we don't need to dive into like all of that. But yeah, you know, it's, it's been really interesting. And I know a lot of uh, people that I, I work with every day and a lot of friends that work all across the country have really been struggling with in particular right now that l- learning how to handle your guest interactions in a, a way that it has so much more on the line um, and, and how to recover every day from kind of constantly interacting with people who um, who put your value uh, last or even beyond last. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I'll say, I'll say too, within the context of, you know, mental health, because there might be, there might be folks listening right now being like, what does this, I, I signed up for mental health and they're not talking. They haven't mentioned <laughs> depression once. Um, <laughs> and that's, you know, that's, but that's something that I run into a lot when I do education around mental health within, within the hospitality industry um, that I just want to address just really quick is that when we talk about mental health, it, it's actually in, in, that encompasses everything, right? So it's not, when we talk mm-hmm. about mental health, it's not just about like depression or anxiety or substance use issues. In order to talk about those things, we need to look at, you know, the social maneuverings that are happening around us that lead to increased anxiety or untreated depression or using substances as coping mechanisms. And what's happening, what I see happening right now, and I think a lot of people are feeling, is the circumstances around dining out and guest relations and really illuminating the fact that, you know, most of the public, oh, that's a generalization, I shouldn't say that, but um, much of the public regards dining out as Um, and eating out at a restaurant as um, their right, as opposed to a celebration Mm -hmm. of culture and community. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is then inherently a mental health issue because it impacts people in a way that can be incredibly damaging and troubling. And, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, our industry, you know, as if you were to look at it as a very large organization with micro organizations in it, we are not set up to support the mental health of mental health crises or even day-to-day mental health issues of individuals who are participating and working within this industry and community. So I guess I just wanted to say that so that if someone at, if someone at home is confused as to why, why the counselor is talking about this, that is why. It's, it, I mean, everything plays into our mental health experience and um, our perception of what we are um, you know, taking in and how we're moving through the world. So you just want to throw that out there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. You know, and, and you bring up something really important about substance abuse and, and mental health and how that's all connected. And, you know, when we talk about all of that, it makes me think about something, um, you know, when I first, we, I think we've all started working in, in restaurants or whatever, where during our training at some point, we, you know, we're always told like, the weakest person on the team is the person that can't ask for help. And that always has to do with like your section, right? It's like, oh, is your section going down in flames? And like, if you can't ask for help, like that's a problem, Mm -hmm. right? And I just think it's so ironic um, that we can't understand in our industry how important it is to ask for help 
when it, we're struggling mentally, you know, like we can ask for help when we're on the floor. Hey, can you bust my table? Can you water my table? Can you help me flip my table? Can you run my drinks? Whatever. Um, but then when it comes to when we're struggling, you know, that concept is completely lost. Um, and I think, you know, there's obviously a lot of issues that cause this to happen. And one of them is like not feeling supported or understood by your managers. Or if you are working in a management role, like not feeling understood or supported by your ownership or your higher up management. Um, you know, I think that there's so much, you know, there's probably a lot we could unpack there, but I guess I just like to hear from you about, you know, the dangers of not having empathetic management and, uh, and not having a healthy work environment where people can be supported and uh, can be allowed to be vulnerable and ask for help when they need it, not just on the floor, but in their For lives. sure. And I think, I think it's worth noting too, and I'm reflecting <laughs> a little bit painfully on, you know, some of the environments that I've worked in that, you know, mm-hmm. there weren't, there wasn't even room to ask somebody for help for, to like run drinks. Like, you know, that, oh sure. my God, I'm like having flashbacks <laughs> it's like of like night nightmare shifts and, um, you know, and, and managers coming to me being like, you're going down in flames. What, what can I do to help you? And me being so paralyzed that I didn't even know how to ask for help because it had already gotten so bad. And, um, you know, like in a shift, like I have too many drinks to run or I don't know what orders I put in mm-hmm. what I haven't. And, you know, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. going down, <laughs> like I'm going down hard. Um, yeah. You know, I think it, so much of this. So, okay. So if we look at change in, in like cultural systems and cultural norms and stuff like that, it doesn't necessarily have to start at the top. Like change can start from really anywhere within a cultural system. And it really does only take one to change that. However, without help from um, whatever leadership looks like with the people who are in power, whatever that is, it's really hard to, you know, make that change something that sticks because it requires buy-in from all levels. So that being said, when we look at like organizations like restaurants and bars or hotels, um, you know, or even, you know, brands like, like networks of brands ambassadors and everything. um, If we build a system that people either sink or swim. I mean, I had a job tell me once they were like, I was like, what about training? And they're like, no, we're really just going to like grease you up and throw you to the pigs. <laughs> like, I was like, okay, here we go. Um, you know, it's, and then it's a, it's a sink or swim situation. I think that that's something that we see so often in the hospitality industry. And that becomes very much ingrained in how, you know, how we start to move through the world, because like your brain isn't, your brain at work is not separate from your brain outside of work, right? Your brain is, your brain is just your brain, right? So if you are developing behavioral patterns at work that are consistent in your 10 hour shift, five days a week, that's going to start playing out in the outside as well, right? So if you are in a culture Mm -hmm. where it is challenging for you to ask for help, or you've come from a place that you really can't ask for help without being um, reprimanded or um, shamed, then 
even when you come into a restaurant mm -hmm. that you're like, can you run where the culture is, can you run your drinks? You might at first be really, really um, hard pressed to engage in that kind of activity. Like it might still be hard to ask for help to run your drinks or whatever that looks like. Okay, so all of that being said, when we then want to take an entire culture and completely change the rules within that culture that usually say, you don't want to ask for help, you know, sink or swim, you know, this Gordon Ramsay, like, you know, I'm an idiot sandwich between two pieces of bread. Do you know what I mean? That's kind of what we're living with. <laughs> mm -hmm. It makes yeah. it hard for people to start asking for help when we really need it to. And it comes back to like, you know, me reflecting on a manager coming to me when I am so deeply in the weeds asking what I need. And I'm so paralyzed that I don't even know what to say. And I think that that's where our Right. But also yes. that's the wrong question, yes. you know, like yes, it is. Yeah, it absolutely, it absolutely, and it absolutely like, is. Um, you know, so I think that we definitely have a problem with asking for help in so many ways, also because we don't know that there are there are opportunities for help. Like in if we if we keep this parallel going of like asking for help in a shift, this analogy analogy, if you will, asking for help in a shift. You know, at the end of the day, what either, either it works or it doesn't. And then the shifts over and you made your money or you don't, but then at the end of the night, it feels like you're wiped clean. But when we look at emotional issues that are compiling again and again, again, because your in work brain is not this, not a different brain from your outwork brain, it does keep compiling and it does make it really hard for people to ask for help, especially if there's shame and stigma around that, or if the coping mechanisms that mm -hmm. are especially problematic are normalized, like overconsumption, others like substance use, um, mm -hmm. overworking. So long answer to a short question, <laughs> empathetic management is so necessary because it's within leadership that structures are really solidified and culture is really solidified. So if a manager normalizes, like starting a pre-shift with, you know what, I kind of had a rough morning, I'm really excited to be here with you all, it might take me a second to warm up, you know, normalizing, like you don't have, and also yeah. you don't have to share what your issue was that morning, <laughs> whatever that is, but right. normalizing, like, I'm a human being, I have feelings that affects the work that we do mm -hmm. here. Um, you know, also, if we look at it from a hospitality standpoint, our job, especially as front of house folk, are to anticipate the guest's needs. That also mm -hmm. comes with management too. And I'm not saying managers should like carry emotional baggage for their teams, but understand like, wow, we're short staffed and everyone's working a lot of hours right now and they're working bigger sections and they aren't able to do the best job that they can. And they're probably suffering emotionally from that as well. You know, anticipating that and then coming up with a plan to figure out like, how can I make sure that my team is still happy, that they still want to work here, that they're being cared for, that even given these situations that they're thriving, you know, anticipating the needs of your teams, yeah. um, you know, management isn't just about making a beautiful cocktail or making the schedule. It's, you know, especially mm -hmm. in a industry where there's so much emotional labor and to your $2.13 point earlier, unpaid emotional labor um, mm -hmm. you know, management really has to, you know, not to put pressure, but has to be on their game to care for people and to advocate for them so that they yeah. do have 
the resources that they need so that they do have, um, you know, what we call benefits, but I, I, I see as being like essential, um, essential systems for employee support, like health insurance and stuff like that. Um, I hope that's, I hope that's making sense, but yeah, man, empathetic man. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I always say, I always say that the hardest part about management is learning how to manage yeah. people. You know, it's not about, it's not about, you know, having to confront the table that's upset because of whatever. Um, it's about learning how to manage, uh, manage your, your people and understanding that they are all different and they need different things and that they are human and that they do have emotions and life outside of work and things that affect them and their well-being. You know, it's, it's a hard job, um, especially if you want to do it well. You know, I remember um, a manager. Go and ahead, then, And, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, and one that most managers get no training in. Managers don't <laughs> like, get any training. And I, I do remember I had a manager, gosh, so many years ago before I even saw this industry as being a potential career um, in, in the days when I was the worst server there ever was. But we had a manager who only managed in the busy seasons in the summer because he was a teacher. And he was a wonderful manager. And what he always would say was, part of my job is to be the connection between my team and the guest. If my team needs something because mm -hmm. the guest isn't behaving in the way that they need to, I need to be I need to be the mediator there and I need to be the protector there. If something isn't happening for the guests, it needs to be happening for my team. I need to be that person there too. And it was such a human approach to management. And I don't think I had a manager like him for years, but I think it, it, it was a skill that he had built or a talent, depending on how you think about it as a teacher for kids. You know, that, yeah. And he's like, if my, mm -hmm. he's like, if the table is unhappy, ultimately it's up to me. If my staff is unhappy, ultimately it's up to me, you know, and taking responsibility for that. I just, I really, really, really admired that. And I think, you know, now that I reflect on my time as a manager, um, I've adopted that in a big way, you know? And I, so I, I think it's mm -hmm. also people aren't getting training as management, they're just promoted because maybe they're ready or they've been there a long time or whatever that looks like. They make a good make cocktail, a good cocktail. Um, you know, but yeah. that, that you're absolutely right. That human training isn't there. And I encourage places, especially as hopefully we see more and more places reopen. I mean, I'm in Chicago, so things are closing down and going into hibernation that we just hope to see will come out. Mm -hmm. um, I hope places start thinking mm -hmm. about the human component of their management training and what they are providing because people are going to come out of this, you know, very weathered, you know, and very apprehensive. Yeah. And I hope for, I hope one thing oh, something man, better. For you know? sure. That's, yeah. that's something that's actually been on my mind a lot lately. You know, we've had a couple of instances at the bar where, um, you know, we, when we were doing window service, uh, this guy tried to say that he had a uh you know uh whatever a health issue why he couldn't wear a mask um you know and uh the person working the window served him um from stood back and rang in whatever he was ordering you know and and afterwards we had this conversation of like our policy is you have to wear a mask so like why did we serve him 
And it, we've had a couple of other things similar to that happen lately. And um, the thing that I keep realizing is that more often than not in my career, I've worked at places where the employee was not put first, you know, like that it wasn't, and it wasn't necessarily an option to stand up for your employees for what you believe is right um, or moral. Um, And what I'm learning is that even though I firmly believe that, you know, hospitality employees have every right to protect themselves and to stand up against people who are bigoted or um, racist or, you know, whatever it may be when there become issues like that in bars. um, I'm still having to untrain myself um, from believing that I can't stand up for my employees or my coworkers, you know, like the, the years of, the years of believing that I don't have the power to tell someone that they're wrong, um, you know, in a private place of business um, is really crazy. Um, and something that I've, you know, been reflecting on a lot this year, kind of realizing that it doesn't have to be that way. And I'm very fortunate that I, I work for people who would never want it to be that way. But even so, even though I am empowered to, protect my coworkers so that I still struggle in some instances that's to so real. do so um, because of that's how that's I've been so trained. so real and you know it's drilled into us that it's that whole like the customer is always right thing and um that you have to do anything for them and you can't you can't say mm-hmm. like there is um there is no yo there is no no only like let yeah. me find exactly let me find out or let me exactly out. and yeah. that is and it's such a hard pattern to break and it's such a hard like mm-hmm. behavioral bias to break and I mean the problem then that comes from that is that we see that behavioral bias playing out in our everyday lives so we start putting we stop putting ourselves first we stop doing what we need to do for ourselves because, you know, <laughs> our behavioral bias, you know, leans towards take care of everybody else. They're right. I'm not right. Or I can't voice that I'm feeling a certain way or feeling unsafe or, you know, whatever the circumstance, whatever the circumstance may be. Right. You know, I was reflecting the other day on the times that I've cried at work. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of messed up to say, but like, you know, and I'm, I'm, I, God, it had been year. I, I was thinking, like, when was the last time I cried at work, and why? Um, it, I don't know. I don't know why I was thinking about this. I don't know what prompted it, but I, <laughs> I recalled that the times that I had cried, it was because I was powerless to stand up to the person who wasn't speaking to me. I, I, I'm sorry, I should rephrase, rephrase that. I felt powerless to the person who was speaking to me in a certain way or talking down to me or not listening or whatever. And that, I mean, it's, you know, I'm, I'm like recalling this time that, um, you know, I couldn't find a chair for a table and this woman was yelling at me. And I just remember her vein like popping out of her forehead as she was yelling at me. And there was like not, enough, there was there was not another chair in the entire restaurant. There was nothing I could do. And what I wanted to say to her was like, you're being irrational. Mm. You set the reservation for, 
Yeah. What For do you sure. want to have? Like, and you a set chair? a reservation, <laughs> you brought five extra people. We've accommodated you the best that we can, but it wasn't, it wasn't a, a space where I had the freedom to say that. And it wasn't even a space where my managers had the freedom to say that, you know, um, it was just figure it out. And like, I think we ended up taking a chair from the manager's office or something like that. But I went in back and I just cried <sighs> because I felt so powerless. And I think, I think yeah. also all of this comes down to not just manager tra- training, but also training for our teams who are in those very guest, specifically who are in those very guest facing roles that, you know, person facing roles mm-hmm. of empowering people to be able to have authentic emotions. And this comes back to the emotional labor thing to not sacrifice what they're, you know, what they are actually feeling to put on a different set of emotions to accommodate somebody else's feelings. Like if you are being treated poorly, I I would like to see more training around how do you manage this emotionally in the moment for yourself, but then how do you manage the situation so that you can truly speak to what your emotional life is in that moment while also solving the problem. Like I, I, I recall a time that I was working at a hotel bar and this guy invited me up to his room. And this was a place that was, it was a high end hotel luxury mm-hmm. situation. It was a place where you don't say no, you know, but there was a, it was so gross. Oh, this guy, oh, he, he yeah. specifically asked me for sardines and crackers. We'll never forget it. He's like, do you want to have sardines and crackers in my room? <sighs> and I just stopped. Absolutely. Absolutely no. not. And, um, you know, I knew he was very high status and all that stuff. And I had a whole bar essentially watching what I was going to do. And I turned to him, and I think this was one of the first times I've ever been able to do this. Um, I turned to him and I was like, hey, here's the thing. Everyone here is having a good time. I am having a good time. I hope that you're having a good time. Right now you have entered like a no-fly zone. And if you say anything else to that Mm -hmm. effect, I'm going to stop having a good time. Everyone around is going to stop having a good time. And then you're not going to have a good time because I'm going to have to ask you to leave. You know, and it, I mean, and it was, God, that was, had to be 2012 or 2013. And it was a really revolutionary moment to say, you know, setting a boundary and being able to stick to it. And yeah, but I can also imagine there might've been a part of you. I was afraid of getting fired. And I mean, I was very clever in the sense that I also enlisted in that, in saying that publicly enlisted the help of the bar guests around this man, hoping that the bar guests could police him as well, mm-hmm. because I knew very well that my voice mm-hmm. wasn't enough. And that comes back to the dehumanization bit. But, um, you know, I think it was right. the first time that I felt authentic in my communication with a guest. And part of, part of you know, addressing mental health issues within the hospitality industry is creating service standards and steps of service and communication within service to our guests that is authentic while still being hospitable and where we're not sacrificing our personhood or our feelings or, um, you know, yeah, or our our safety, Safety. you know, Um, those are all parts of it. And that comes down, like, if we can, if we can get managers who are trained and who are trained in empathetic management, and then they create steps of service and service systems and operating procedures that then are rooted in that. I mean, think of how different restaurants would be. (laughs) 
it would, I, you know, think of, yeah. think of the people who would stay in restaurants instead of leaving, you know, think of what, think of what safety yeah. would, how safety would change and what innovation would come from that. You know, if people are mentally healthy and they feel safe and they feel heard, um, and are heard and are safe, then, I mean, it just, it changes everything. Well, <laughs> we're, uh, we're about at the end of our time, um, and maybe even a little bit over, but boy, this was, you know, I'm, I think it was better than our first recording. I'm going to say <laughs> nobody will ever know. Um, but I, I think it was better the second round. Um, thank you so much for, for hopping on today and talking about these, you know, heavy and emotional topics. I really appreciate your, you know, your voice and your honesty and, and all of that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm so happy to be here and thank you. And thank you for the space to explore it. And, you know, something that I've been especially reflecting on in the last few months, um, particularly the last few weeks, well, that's not true. I'm just going to stick to months is that, you know, as we have these conversations, as Mm -hmm. we explore, um, you know, what exactly is happening within the hospitality industry, like, as we kind of fumble our way through to figure it out, like, we're going to make mistakes, and we're going to try things that don't work. And I think it takes vulnerability and humility to, you know, to try things out. And, you know, and maybe they work. And maybe they don't. Um, you know, that being said, like, people are always, like, very welcome if they feel compelled to reach out to me and talk to me about things. And, um, fumble their way through ideas or, you know, if you heard something coming from me in particular that you're like, Oh, I didn't like that. I'm always open to hearing that and learning from that too. Mm -hmm. I I expect to listen back on everything that I did in the last five years in five years and be absolutely horrified at how much more learning we had to do. So I'll just just come out and like, yeah, from a vulnerability standpoint and modeling that vulnerability of learning that, um, Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your vulnerability. I really appreciate it. And I think that other people really will as well. Um, Okay, so last question for the podcast, lighten the mood just a little bit. If you could be anywhere in the world right now having something to drink, where would you be? And what would you be drinking? I would be drinking vermouth (laughs) and eating some tapas in Spain. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Same. Always. (laughs) Always. <laughs> That's where I am mentally and emotionally. Or some cherry. For the rest of the year. <laughs> oh, yes. That's where I would be. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I would be. 100%. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see you there. <laughs> 100%. All right. Well, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Yo, thank you. Happy thank to you be here again. and like, enjoy your day and enough. stay safe. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, Most Imaginative Bartender. To learn more about the Most Imaginative Bartender competition and the Canvas project, go to mostimaginativebartender.punchdrink.com. Make sure to tune in every Monday for new episodes of Focus on Health, and don't miss No Proof with Joshua Gandhi every Wednesday. Cheers!